Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. It's 2022. I'm Christopher Mitchell. I'm still at home. And this is, uh, this is our prediction show where we go over last year's predictions. And wow, I, I would say that we did pretty well, but we'll see how, what you all think. Uh, we have uh, a, a subsection of our staff here, the, the people that are super enthusiastic about um, thinking back and thinking forward in the new year on a Friday afternoon. So um, really excited. Uh, I'm co-hosting with me today, we've got Deanne Cuellar. Welcome back to the co-hosting slot, Deanne. Thank you, Chris. I'm so glad to be here. And we have other voices that will be jumping in from time to time, but just so you can get a, a sense of them, let me note that uh, Sean Gonsalves, uh, I, I feel like, was the star of the show last year and uh, and may or may not be up for it today. We'll see. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I don't even remember last year's show, to be honest. I had to go back and read the transcripts. I did, too. And I'm, I'm once again, I have this feeling of like, was this really last year? Is this three years ago? Did I have the wrong transcript? Um, you know, someone that I thought just had a very, very low impact on last year's show is uh, Christine Parker. Um, <laughs> welcome to your first podcast with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. And uh, our returning champion, uh, Rye Marcatilio McCracken. <laughs> Ever been more excited about anything in my life, Chris? Good to be here. <laughs> and I'm super excited because I got Heat That Works. And anyone who follows me on Twitter um, knows that uh, I don't always have Heat That Works lately. And, um, you know, we've got several more days in which the high is going to be at or near zero. So uh, uh, it's a pretty good thing to have hot water and uh, hot pipes when it comes down to, um, I don't know, trying to live and be um, typing without fingers that are breaking off like you submerge them in liquid nitrogen. Last year, um, we picked out a bunch of different predictions, and I, I, I think I'd like to just start by asking people to reflect a little bit. Like as we look back, and, and Deanne, you know, you um, could look at the predictions you weren't there, and but I'm sure you had feelings um, about last year. I feel like we did pretty well, not for like how the quality of our predictions, but just things went well, right? Like I have more things to celebrate than I have to complain about today, and I'm curious how other people react to that. I agree. I feel like we did pretty good as well as we could have, even if there wasn't a global pandemic still like, you know, going on. But yeah, researching, we're, we're getting ready to, you know, to go on to our third year of a pandemic and even, you know, from our homes and we were able to accomplish um, a whole lot. But I think that that's also one of the things I wanted to hear from, you know, I wanted to hear about from people on the call today is that now going into this third year and the opportunities that are in front of us with federal funding and recovery funding, we're going to have to be even louder than ever from the grassroots to the Beltway. And I wanted to know if like people had any predictions or ideas about how communities might be thinking about doing that. That's a good question, uh, Deanne. I guess I would say I maybe am a little more optimistic this year. Uh, like Sean, I don't remember much of last year's show. But I think a lot of the uh, stories that we've told this year uh, show that a lot of people around the country are getting better at talking about this in ways that are having local impact. Uh, and so at the very least, that's an exciting thing to see. And I think there are going to be a lot of great stories uh, to come in 2022. Sean, super, super um, like uh, uh, the glasses is, is not just half full, but leaking radioactive waste guy. Um, how do you how do you look back at the last year? I mean, do you come away with more um, feelings of of positiveness or negativity uh, based on on uh, that's the kind of stuff you were covering? Believe it or not, m much more positive. I think it was a banner year for broadband for sure. 
I mean, the infrastructure bill passed, the American Rescue Plan um, money is is being distributed. And from what I understand, the the rules are terrific. We, we saw two states roll back their preemption laws. So um, I would I would say that it was a it was actually probably one of the better years for broadband in a long time. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's just dive right in because you just noted two of the, the predictions. And I, I feel like that's where I want to start is where you put it, Sean, which is um, um, I feel like we I had asked about us predicting kind of how the Biden administration would do on broadband. And when we were recording, you were had just finished publishing, I think, the series on the American or the Affordable Accessible Internet for All Act, which was pathbreaking. And I think we were all super excited about it. And we're kind of thinking, well, if parts of this get into law, we'll be doing pretty good. And um, I don't know. I feel like what happened, um, basically everything that we wanted happened with the exception of uh, the federal government stopping the states from interfering with local governments. Uh, we did not get any of our relief from the federal level that would have stopped states from prohibiting municipal networks and then partnerships and that sort of thing. But uh, the amount of money that went in, the fact that it's actually being distributed to the states, uh, the fact that the rescue plan dollars went to local governments, uh, if you told me last year that this is what was going to be happening, I would be doing cartwheels. Um, and I'm really bad at cartwheels. It takes a lot to make me do a cartwheel. A good point. Uh, the AAIA. I call it that because I don't remember if it's affordable, accessible or accessible, affordable. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, the thought was that it was a pipe dream, but you know, also that was when that was introduced, it was prior to the election. So, you know, elections matter. Senate elections matter too. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I felt like if, if you asked me two months ago, I think I might've been more pessimistic, but the fact that we're recording this the day after treasury updated their rules to once again, give cities the authority that we felt that Congress intended for them to have to make decisions more granularly and not be limited in where they could invest this money on broadband in a significant way. I, I'm, I'm filled with all kinds of positive feelings toward the Biden administration with where we are today on broadband. Um, there's so much more to do, but like I cannot fault them very much at all um, for where we ended up. And Deanne, I'm curious how, uh, if that's where you come down to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm also thinking about how almost 10 years ago we were talking about getting local state and federally elected officials to make connectivity their one of their issues right and people were said like that's never going to happen don't don't run people you know to get elected on that they won't get elected and now you've got people all over the country you know at the local state and federal level who are talking about connecting connecting their communities and building infrastructure as you know one of their issues and i i'm glad to see that and i'm glad that they can talk about it and i'm glad there are so many people that want to work on it. And I, I honestly, several years ago, thought that that would, I would be an 80 year old woman at a neighborhood association meeting, shaking my shaking finger saying, yeah, I told you, you should worry about this issue. But now that, you know, I'm not 80 and people are talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is where I would perhaps, you know, Sean might have something colorful to say about it, but I, I definitely feel like there's still a lot of people who will only talk and they're not going to do any action, but, uh, but we move forward with that. Now, Sean, you were aggressive in believing that we were going to get rid of some state preemptions. Um, I feel like we all picked numbers, but you were the one who had, I felt like, some certainty. You thought that we were going to lose the Colorado barrier, which is a pretty small one, and that we were going to have, be down to a total number of barriers that's 15. I was wrong about both of those. 
I mean, it, it, I was in heading in the right direction. Yeah, you were. I looked at the transcript to remember what my prediction was. I was trying to be bold and said that number would go from 20 to 15. 19 to 15. 19 to 15. Correct. Yes. Um, we got it down to 17. Um, the good people of Washington and Arkansas, Washington and Arkansas, <laughs> Colorado didn't. And now that I think about it, it makes sense that probably that that lot didn't get repealed just because it's I wouldn't go so far as to say it's easy in Colorado to get around it, but at least there's a mechanism for it. And if you if a local community wants to opt out, they can. Um, right. So so having thought about that more, I should have taken that into consideration, but. I'll try to, I'm horrible at predictions. So the, the see, everyone the is good thing about people the just good make thing about ones. me making pessimistic predictions is that um, because I'm so horrible at it, my pessimistic predictions, hopefully will, you know, the energy of that will go out into the universe and say, Oh, Sean predicted it. He'll be wrong. So let's do the opposite. So, so I've got a number of other pessimistic predictions for the upcoming year that we can get into at some point, but we um, will, but let me, let me say this. Cause I saw a great comic today that I just totally made my day. It's uh, it was uh, it was uh, these two guys talking in a garden, and one of them says, "I'm predicting that there's going to be flowers in the next year," and the other guy's like, "Why?" And the first person says, "Cause I'm planting flowers," <laughs> and that's what we do, <laughs> right? So um, I just really like that, and that's 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 how we're making the future here. But uh, give credit to H. You know, H uh, was on our staff, um, uh, has been on this show off and on over the years. And uh, last year she was on uh, the show and uh, they predicted 17 and we ended up at 17. Uh, let's talk about next year. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to go around here quick. So I'm being very specific here. I think we're actually going to be at, um, you know, 17 um, minus four. So 13 uh, because four. Four states will repeal. Five states will repeal, and one will put it back. Rye, where are you at? Uh, I think I'm going to uh, be a little more measured this year. I'm going to say that we're going to lose one, so we'll be down to 16 uh, at this time next year. Christine, my lucky number is three, so I'm going to say minus we're going to lose three. Or, yeah, yeah. So down to 14. Sean, and I'm making Dean go last because you're the co-host. You have the hardest burden. All the numbers will be gone. Okay, my prediction on that front is that we'll get one more state to roll back its preemption laws. And I'm going to add a bonus. The the muni ban proposal that surfaced in Ohio will not make a return. It won't even be proposed. It won't even be proposed. No light of day. Okay. So that that and that I will say is the most optimistic prediction that I will make at in our time together here today. All right. Deanne? Um, I I agree with you, Chris. I also would just add that I think we're going to see more involvement from people who would have been against us in the past, just because I do believe this has become a nonpartisan issue, but, you know, historically has been a partisan issue. And because of the pandemic, you know, the one good thing that came from the pandemic is that people have are now starting to see this as a nonpartisan issue. So I think we could see more. And we have one lurker here. I just want to see uh, Emma, do you want to jump on just real quick and make a prediction? Just pick a number. You don't have to, you can just shake your head if you're saying no. I'm going to go with Christine and say three also. It is my lucky number, but I think that it's not two out there. So excellent. Excellent. I predicted 20 new municipal fiber networks. I'm not really sure how to count this. I mean, there's just this whole big problem about like, are we counting, you know, them only when they start connecting customers, when they break ground, when they, it's not, I feel like I was in the ballpark. I I feel good about that. Uh, Anyone want to challenge me? 
No, I think I think you're you're pretty close. Yep. What are we thinking for next year? Do you want to go out there and say something crazy? So to give you an idea, like I mean, if we saw, like right now, there's about I want to say like eighty citywide networks ish. You know, let, let's call it like approaching a hundred. Uh, citywide networks that have either been completed and some of them decades ago, some of them are will be completed in coming years. Um, and so like if we were to say 50 citywide networks would be seriously announced in person, that would be a significant change. To me, that seems a bit bold. I think cities are going to be studying it more and I don't know that we'll have that many like full on, like it's really going to happen kind of things, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's more than 20, but less than 50. That's a terrible prediction. Just awful. <laughs> between 20 and 50 i'm curious what you think uh so if we think 20 happened la- about 20 came last year uh and we want to say anything is materially different this year uh then what is you know what else is on the table that wasn't last year the, the rescue, rescue plan, plan but that's not going to start to get dis- dispersed no but it's sort of changed year. motivations and then like new york state i mean like they're look at what this stuff they're doing you got california a lot of the the changes over the course of this year are going to percolate down from through next year um, you know, I think we see like one or two popping up in Tennessee. There's a possibility that there's, you know, there could be 50 in Tennessee alone. It would be shocking if they were all next year. But anyway, that's, I think that's the, the, what I think listeners might take away is that none of us think that that's a crazy thing to say, um, is that it is possible that over the next three or four years, we could double the number of municipal networks. And also in recent years, we've seen like, um, I mean, Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, Fort Collins, and big cities. It's not just small cities doing this. Um, you know, it's these, uh, these mid-sized cities, I guess is what they're called. So, um, okay, I've been talking way too much. Let's go to one of Sean's because I know Sean's got a bunch. I don't know if Rye, Christine, or Deanne prepared as many, but uh, Sean, what's another one of yours? When states get their money, infrastructure money, that is, for the BEAD program. Um, it will be 2023. That's my prediction. <laughs> see well you, you should yeah well you know that kind of undermines my whole <laughs> i was going to say that at least a third of the states will not be ready to apply for the money yeah so when the money's available at ntia um, at least a third of the states will be dragging their feet they'll either be dragging their feet or they will have absolutely no idea what they should do because there are certain requirements to even access that money which involves you know actually having a plan for example the state that i'm in apparently doesn't have a plan right now. Massachusetts, why would they need a plan? They got so many smart people. Let's figure it out. I was in a call recently, and I don't think this is my idea entirely. It's kind of like a product of the call. Um, There's this challenge that NTIA has to wait to uh, distribute the money based on FCC mapping, except they could distribute $100 million before that is done because we know that each state's getting at least $100 million. And that would be a pretty smart move by NTIA's part, I think, would be to get that money ready to get things moving while we figure out where the rest of the money goes. So uh, that would be kind of cool. Uh, but I'm, any other any other predictions around how, whether it's BEAD or or the, the CCPF, the Coronavirus Capital Projects Fund from Treasury, uh, any sort of predictions around this? I've got a related one. I'll hop in and steal something from Christine maybe and say that all the good mapping action in 2022 will be at the state level. Uh, some of them will see this stuff coming down the pipeline. Oh, I think I think Raj just made an enemy. <laughs> I totally scooped my prediction. <laughs> so I'm going to say that we'll see five more state level broadband maps like Georgia. Uh, and maybe you can hop in, Christine, and tell us if you think they're going to be more. That was also exactly my number. I don't know how you've done this. <laughs> I guess I don't have specific state guesses, but I, I, you know, based on what they've been doing 
Georgia from the state map um, and folks getting impatient waiting for the, the new FCC map will probably start to work on their own following that model. I guess my follow-up to the, the map prediction um, would be that we probably won't see the, the new FCC map this year, is my guess, since we're still waiting on last year's regular data. Yep. yep. Patiently, of course. <laughs> Agreed. Deanne, a reaction or, uh, or a new prediction? Not really. I, I think one thing that I'm hoping for is the sense of urgency in the new this new year happens with funding as it relates to all the things we're we're talking about to tell to tell someone living in the United States because we're only talking about United States right now that things are going to be happening year by year is not an easy pill to swallow, um, I think, for con- the con- constituents. So I'm hoping that, like, pressure from constituents, you know, makes its way to the federal level to create a better sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. I think the supply chains that are holding us back will largely be resolved uh, by the end of 2022 with notable hiccups here and there along the way. But the people chain will not be. I think, if anything, it could be a lot worse where um, uh, there's just – people who are desperate to hire people who know the space. Um, I think if I open my LinkedIn page, I can pretty much guarantee you that in the first couple of entries, it's going to be someone begging. And if you know anyone that has broadband skills, we really need them in this position. That was the other thing I was thinking about right before you you know, asked that question. I was just thinking about that. It was just like, there's this like whole field of you know, I wouldn't call it emerging because, you know, it's been a small field for so long, but, you know, you see tech companies, school districts, for-profit, nonprofit, they're all, you know, trying to find people that speak broadband. Mm-hmm. Those of us on, you know, that are all here right now, you know, there's always been some way to study the humanities of connectivity, like that's what they call it in other countries, but not so much here in the United States. We've sort of, it's a sort of a patchwork of how you become an expert on this issue. Well, I'm going to go on the other direction, Chris, in, in, as far as your prediction is concerned about the supply chains. Aliens will land, they'll have plenty of knowledge, and the supply chains will be just destroyed. See, I love how you think. You're so, you know. <laughs> You're so imaginative and, and, and optimistic. That would be great if that happened, actually. Scary, but great. Um, but no, I'm going to run in the other direction because the older I get, the more get off my lawn I, I, I become. You can't say get off the lawn when you smile as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> so you say the supply chain issues will, will significantly improve. And I'm going to say that the fiber order backlogs will skyrocket. All right. There you have it. Anyone else want to want to pick sides here? I don't, yeah. So I don't know about the uh, fiber, right? Because we've talked about how the effort it takes to spin up a new fiber factory, but uh, you know, and then there are all sorts of other things that go into the supply chain to, you know, build out a network. Don't, don't create any wiggle room for Sean. We're talking fiber and fiber alone. So what I was going to say is that uh, I'm a, uh, a computer hardware guy. And if the um, lessening of the GPU shortage is any indication uh, the chip shortage might finally be coming to an end sometime, you know, in the second half of this year, which is great news for uh, all the chip related stuff that you need uh, to build a fiber network. What do you Well, I was going to ask this question because I, I can't remember if I, where I read this, but somewhere when I was researching some of these projects, I thought I read a state that had codified the deployment projects 
in a way that people could not purchase fiber or equipment that was not made in the United States. Oh, yeah, that's a big problem. No, no, no. So all of the infrastructure, I think it's all the IIJA stuff. I don't know if it's all the rescue plan stuff. I think it's specifically the IIJA. Um, and this is something that in the past has been there, but they've issued waivers. And, and there's a sense that they will not be issuing as many waivers. And so there, um, there's some things that are made in the U.S. that are harder to find. And then there's some things that just aren't made in the U.S. And it's going to be curious to see how they react to that. But is that so something that's coming from the cybersecurity community or is that like opposition to municipal broadband? Oh, it's not even municipal broadband. It's just, uh, um, um, no, I mean, it's, there's a bunch of stuff. Like, for instance, my understanding is, is that all the high fiber count uh, fiber, like if you're looking for like 144 count fiber, you can get U.S. made. But if you want like thousands of strands for uh, for backhaul, like uh, we talk about with Travis and Travis Carter talks about in Minneapolis, where he's like, you know, all, a lot of South Minneapolis like rides on this one big 5,400 strand bundle. Uh, you can't find a maker of that in the U.S. is my understanding. And I, I'm not an expert on that, but um just a challenge. Sean? So are you saying then, or Deanne, are we collectively saying then that, um, given the point that Deanne is bringing up, that it's a great time to um, invest in corning stock? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there's multiple um, companies, I think, that, that make fiber in the U.S. Uh, I have no idea. Timing the market is a terrible idea for people like us. Uh, we should not try to do that, <laughs> is what I'm told. Um but it will be curious to see. And this is something Doug Dawson and I were going back on on a Connect This episode. Uh, sorry, what was that show, Chris? Uh, connect This. Connect This. Boy, I'm so out of practice. And um, and basically our sense was it's going to be painful for a few years. But if we hold true to this, we think it will be better long term for us. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And we could very well be wrong. It's not anything that I can claim any specialty to. So that's just how I roll on that in particular. So... Rye made a comment in the last episode uh, that suggested that he thought we'd be back in the office last year. Well, did I say that? I don't remember that even a little bit. You didn't. It was more like it was like when we're back in the office kind of thing. And, yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, does anyone think that we're going to be like uh, for those of us that are in Minneapolis? Are we going to be in the office together? Most of, I mean, most of this call, Em and I are the only ones that are within like ten miles of the Twin Cities. So, um, but like, will the offices reopen? Will most people be working from home? I don't know. I'm 59 miles from the ILSR office, and I was in there four times this year, uh, not including uh, our staff retreat. Will you be in there more than 10 times next year? Well, man, that's a good question. How many times are you going to make me come in? Depends on which side of the bed I am. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, From the kind of like anecdotal stuff that I'm hearing from, you know, friends and family and uh, people out in the world, you know, jobs, there's there's some truth to the fact that lots of uh, the kind of like uh, high school jobs are tr- are transferring to remote work only, uh, in addition to lots of other jobs, and so they're just not going back. One of our uh, one of our colleagues uh, got uh, ill, and I was thinking, well, it's kind of nice that the rest of us can't catch it from that person because even if we all were to get ill, we probably won't get ill at the same time, so our work will be able to continue more or less. So there's some benefits to being remote. Uh, I want to take a quick break here to just thank. 
the uh, listeners of the shows over the years. Uh, it's been wonderful, and a lot of you, um, a few of you, provide really great feedback for us. I think others just tell me in person or whatever, and I know that you uh, appreciate the show, all the people, all the guests that come on over the course of the year. Um, we do a number of different shows at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I should plug them more regularly. Uh, but in addition to the, the Commun- Community Broadband Bits podcast, which is our flagship, long-running, uh, approaching 500 episodes show, we also have Connect This at connectthisshow.com. And uh, is uh, is you know just a, a whole fun, entertaining, in the weeds kind of show. But then we have a variety of shows, uh, including Building Local Power, which is a flagship show of the entire uh, Institute for Local Self Reliance. Uh, energy has uh, Local Energy Rules, which is just really great discussions about energy. Uh, local folks that are doing great things to build uh, some economic power and, and make sure people have. Uh, opportunity and uh, and reliable electricity moving forward. We have composting for community, uh, which is, you know, I have to say that like, it's not what you think. And it is really interesting how this stuff touches on climate change. It touches on, on our food systems. It touches on the ability to create wealth in, in, uh, in, in neighborhoods that have been left behind. Uh, it's really interesting discussions. Um, and uh, we probably have another show or two that I'm, that I'm forgetting. Uh, if you check out ILSR.org, you'll find uh, all of them along with really great reports, uh, um, you know, if you've never heard of Stacy Mitchell, uh, dang, you don't even know who the cool Mitchell is at our organization because the work that they do in independent business to support local companies, it's out of this world. So uh, just a quick note for folks that, uh, that mostly are familiar with us for our broadband work. Uh, there's so much more and a lot of it's in the same vein. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I would say we're politically weird. Uh, we are pro-local. And um, and we don't necessarily fit in anyone's uh, buckets uh, for politics, uh, but we're trying to do good work and empower local people to do things. So um, thanks for listening and uh, and hope that you can support us financially. If not, tell people about the shows, spread the word and that sort of thing. And uh, we'll get back to our predictions right now. And thank you so much. Sean, you want to pick another one of yours out? Yes. Starlink will be underwhelming in 2022 even though a handful of users and government officials will claim it's the answer to solving rural broadband issues. Yeah. I mean, okay. Weak sauce. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that they all had to be bold predictions. Let me, no, no, I'm just, I'm just teasing you for the sake of a cheap laugh. And all all of the Elon Musk cult is going to come after you now for suggesting that something that he's doing isn't going to be, the you know salvation of humanity elon musk himself basically said if we can't get the big fat rocket working that's not what he said but if we can't get the the big mama rocket working then they are going to be in big trouble they can't deploy enough satellites and the whole model starts to crater that whole presentation he gave i thought was really interesting because for people who aren't as savvy on business the sense of like how timing has to work in like the way that they have things all like dominoed out is uh, I thought really interesting. And so I'm curious, and I think Ryan might be someone who's given this more thought than others, but is Starlink going to declare bankruptcy in the next year because they can't get the big rocket to work? No chance, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't pretend to know the peculiarities of everything going on in Elon Musk's mind. I doubt even Elon Musk knows exactly what's going on in his brain from moment to moment. But uh, the guy's got tons of money and he's certainly willing to uh, eat costs for months or years at a time. And so I don't think there's any chance of SpaceX declaring bankruptcy in 2022 or 2023. 
they'll figure it out. And I, I remain the, the weird person who um, is rooting for them. I think what they're doing is fascinating. It's great engineering. And um, I would not want to be Elon's friend, <laughs> but I am impressed at his engineering and business acumen. Uh, I believe we have another one from Emma. Yeah, I'll come out of the shadows. <laughs> Coming off the sidelines. I love it. Yeah, I feel like all I talk about in these shows is the transparency rule, but I do have some related to this. So I talked about in the last podcast I was on the consumer broadband label and also the data supposedly being collected this year based on that broadband label. Then a series of hearings that the FCC, I believe, is going to have to try and assess how how effectively customers are kind of gathering the information they need. And kind of pessimistically, I don't think the consumer broadband label is going to be enforced to the extent that's needed to. Um, I don't think much is going to come out of the hearings. And I would be pretty surprised if we saw any kind of substantial data set um, come out of the consumer broadband label that I don't think is going to be enforced anyway. But so it's kind of hard to have a data set come out of something that's not super well enforced. Do you think it's because it's too hard to enforce or because NTIA is too distracted by all kinds of things or the FCC is too distracted or or what? I mean, what I've seen providers talk about is that like it's pretty hard to nail down all the service details, whether or not that's true. It's kind of hard to say, but I think that's something that a lot of providers use as leverage to kind of just not publish anything at all. And I think that's probably going to be the argument this year. I think it's going to work relatively well to allow them to not publish the information that consumers need. So I don't expect to see anything that like really wows me in terms of like accessibility or data. So, but I'm curious to hear if other people agree or disagree with that. I agree. And I agree for um, shout out um, to uh, Doug Dawson, wrote an excellent blog today about regulatory capture. And uh, that's the reason why I agree with you. I'm going to take the flip side. I think I think we've hit the point where the FCC will feel, and it, I just you have to remind me, Emma, the FCC is one in charge of this, right? Entirely. I believe so. And I think that uh, it will feel emboldened to get this one right now and feel that um, it's not going to face as much backlash. Um, and I think maybe industry will be focusing its guns elsewhere and not fight as effectively on it. So I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm Team Pollyanna on this one. That's based on all the years, Chris, where the FCC has taken criticism and really done an about face and, and rectified the problem. You know, part of this is we, we didn't talk much about the FAA FCC standoff, but chair chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel did a heck of a job. I think Harold Feld, you know, has written about this. He's he's uh, had threads on Twitter sort of uh, exploring it. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Jessica uh, has, I think, provided great leadership on that. And, you know, I'm frustrated with some of the, the FCC decision making on a number of other issues, Ardoff in particular. But I, I think that there's a whole lot of things that the FCC is going to get right. And we may forget some of those as we're focusing on the things that they get wrong. So I'm hoping that they're going to get this one right. You mentioned Ardoff there, and I'm curious uh, if you think also, this, this is one of my predictions for next year, that we're going to see some more states doing what Iowa and South Dakota are doing and that they're taking a close look at what LTD is doing uh, and the uh, Ardoff uh, awards and uh, and maybe holding their feet to the fire a little bit. And so we might see some more action there. Well, 
this is where, I mean, I just, I don't know. Like, here I am again, super, super positive. But um, the fact that the federal government is giving money to the states and saying, you are responsible for doing this, and we're not going to hold your hand that much. Um, and some of the states are turning around, like New York just announced, and they're going to push it out to localities and say, you know, we want to make this money available so you can solve the problem the way you see fit. We saw that with the rescue plan. Um I, I hope that this is the beginning of a movement of power away from D.C. and going out to the local level to say we need to solve these problems more locally. We need states to step up, take more responsibility in that sort of a thing. And so I'm, you know, I'm hoping that that's what we're seeing is more local decision making. Now, some of the public utility commissions, uh, <coughs> Minnesota, <coughs> Minnesota, um, are not taking things as seriously as Iowa, California, maybe South Dakota are. Um, you know, there's some public service commissions or um, public service. They all have different names, PUCs, PSCs. Um, some of them, you know, are frankly unfazed when someone lies to them in the record and they won't even act on it. Um, so uh, I hope that we see more seriousness with these local bodies. And, uh, and so that's what I'm hoping for. So, Christine, um, what do you have for us? Um, so I've been thinking about the Ardoff funds lately and, um, sorry, I said Ardoff earlier and I totally didn't, you know, I feel like people who are listening to the show, this might be the first time they're listening to a show and they're like, what's an Ardoff? Doesn't he know how to say Rudolph? Um, it's the rural digital opportunity fund, which, uh, you know, is an auction that the FCC had done and, um, kind of messed up and we're waiting to see where that ends up. So that's Ardoff. Christine, go ahead. You sure? Okay. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Doug Dawson, you know, wrote about, has written a few times about um, ARDOF, and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, whether the FCC will um, actually authorize um, some of these awards that maybe shouldn't have been approved initially. And so I guess my, my prediction was that it probably will. I'm kind of on the fence still about it as I learn more, but. You're just trying to get on Sean's good side in terms of making those kinds of predictions. I'm predicting that we're going to send more mics out to people because we're going to have better sound quality as we go through this year. Um, and um, we're going to have headsets and we're going to have directional mics that uh, Sean's got his in the lent, in the, in the camera right there, just to make sure we have good audio. Um, any other thoughts on Ardoff and uh, on that uh, process? No, you said last year, Chris, that we, you know, it'll, it remains to be seen whether the FCC will uh, try to, you know, rectify things by clawing money back or make a show of doing it. Um, as I was rereading, re-reviewing the show, and they haven't really done that yet in, in, to any large extent, and so uh, I don't know why I would expect 2020. They've denied a bunch of, of potentially improper census blocks and things like that. I mean, I think they've been trying to clean it up. I, I think Ardoff was a bigger mess than we appreciated that the the Trump administration left. Um, you know, the new FCC, and that's it's hard to deal with. Deanne, do you have any questions for our crystal ball? Sure. So what I so I so I think one of the reasons that, you know, people who are um, not talking so much about what cities, local cities are doing around connectivity is because those projects are tightly, you know, connected to K through 12 programs. And if so, if you and you can't publicly come out against kids. Right. Like, how would you. So you're saying a lot of the bigger cities are doing things that are like just totally focused on the kids and you don't want to come out and say something that would allow me to then issue a press release that says so-and-so doesn't want the kids to have decent internet access for their schooling. 
Right. And I, you know, use, use my city as an example, right? Like San Antonio has got that, this big, you know, program where we're going to use municipal broadband to try to connect, you know, low income zip codes for students so that, that they can continue to go to school, you know, um, during the pandemic, after the pandemic. And I think the reason why people, you know, some people have been quiet is because, well, how do you say not to connect students? And I was wondering if, if people thought that it was going to stay that way, or would, you know, we find a new way to talk about it in the future. Well, I think Sean found that in Tucson, people are willing to come out and say that kids shouldn't get free internet access. But you're right, in most cities, that doesn't happen. Yes. Oh, boy. Well, what did they say, though, Sean? Like, what was what was some of the, like, key points, like, top-line messages? Oh, well, no. It was, I mean, the city's very much wanting to, at least some people, um, forward-thinking people um, in the city want to do that and created a uh, CBRS network to do that. Um, but you know, the local provider there has, has, has spent a lot of time and energy trying to convince the city council that that's a horrible idea. And unfair to give, uh, I like to say widows and orphans, although it's not really limited to widows and orphans, um, but they shouldn't have free internet access. They should uh, have to pay for it like everyone else. Um, yeah. So this gets to one of my predictions, which I think is related and um, we can all react to it. But in terms of bigger cities, I think we're going to see more ambitions, not as much as a, as a lot of folks would want to see. But I think in, you know, you can say that I'm going too small in this, but I think we're going to see three large cities making three small projects, <laughs> uh, which is to say that three large cities are going to do like really innovative, cool test projects that will like probably touch like fewer than 2% of their of their citizens or residents, but uh, but it's going to be municipally owned. It might be a partnership, but the city's going to have skin in the game. They're going to take it seriously. It's going to be about digital inclusion, and it's going to be happening in major U.S. cities. I think that's too easy, too low of a bar. Yeah. Can you be a little bit more specific? I mean, okay, okay. How about this? Take New York City off off of that. Okay. List of okay. None of them are New York City. Three other cities. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I'm. I feel a little bit better. I'll even take Baltimore off. Because I think we all know that I've been, you know, talking about Baltimore. Baltimore's been pretty open about it. I think it'll be three other cities. I think in the back of my head, I can think of two of them. I think are likely. I think there's going to be a big surprise that I'm not saying. I'm not like I know it's something you don't know. I'm just like something I haven't heard of. It's just going to be like it's going to be like June, and I'm going to be like, whoa, that's so cool. Do you see that, Chris, as the precursor to uh, more momentum in those cities, or as examples held up to uh, the, some of the smaller cities doing stuff, or? It may depend on how the cities do. I mean, we're seeing a ton of investment in the big cities. And if some of them, you know, uh, engage in um, really bad practices, it could very well slow the whole movement. And if and if other if some of these are just runaway successes, then that may change it. But a lot is going to be in the hands of these local decision makers as they're building out as to as they have a lot of eyes on them, I think. I mean, it also depend on like, you know. Um, uh, some of the Comcast and Charter Spectrum and um, some of the, the telephone companies. I mean, I, I still think that the only company that really has a low-income program that moves the needle is Comcast. It's the only company that seems to really care. Uh, you know, other some of the telephone companies have actually been raising the prices on their low-income products to just try and take home more of those uh, subsidies from what's now called the Affordable Connectivity Program. It's despicable. Um and if they were smart, they would probably just have two or three years 
of making these plans pretty good so that they could try to get some positive press and blunt the pressure. But uh, I think they're run by people that, um, that have very poor strategy. Um, of course, if you spend any time around me, you know that I think everybody has bad strategy. <laughs> so, <laughs> And speaking of that, one of the, my predictions is the same one I made six months ago and didn't come true, or maybe nine months ago, when the Biden administration came out and said, yes, we're going to do municipal and cooperative approaches. I said we were going to see a big pushback and lots of new reports saying the municipal networks were failures and terrible things. That did not happen. Um, there was definitely pushback, and there's been a heck of a lot of lobbying. But we have not seen the, the industry-funded think tanks putting out new claims that municipal networks are failures. And that surprised me. But I think it's coming now. <laughs> I think with New York and uh, and LA County talking about innovative stuff. I mean, a lot of these, um, a lot of these bigger cities thinking about it, and uh, the program that's been announced by the the governor of New York. With that plan, I think that uh, you know, there's it would be crazy for AT and T and the other companies not to be spending tens of millions of dollars to try to prevent competition. Um, so I'm thinking that's going to be a full on anti muni blitz in 2022. So, the, so they're going to try to Burlington, Vermont yet again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Burlington, um, you know, uh, Utopia, probably incorrectly. I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, we'll be still some people will be using that. Um, we'll certainly see um, uh, like Groton, Connecticut. Uh, they might go deep into old school for Ashland, Oregon. Um, you know, some of these cities have made um, poor decisions and, and gotten in trouble. Um, so, and I think, you know, we'll see that some network that, uh, is being built right now might hit hard times and have a couple of years where it looks, um, ugly, where they have to get their affairs back in order. And that will be all over the wall street journal editorial page, uh, and other, and elsewhere. But, um, I do think we're going to see an effort, a strong effort. Um, especially, I mean, NTIA making all these rules about how to spend the infrastructure dollars, um, you know, there's going to be a big effort to try to delegitimize municipal uh, partnerships and municipal ownership. Deanne? Yeah, I have a prediction about that, though. I think uh, two things are going to happen. I think, one, there's going to be even more media coverage um, than there ever has been. It's, 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 it's been increasing, but I think that, you know, just like there, we're looking for broadband professionals, I think we're going to see more and more people writing specifically about this, and I welcome it, and I welcome the criticism that comes from that and the analysis. Are we going to see, this is for Deanne, are we going to see a, like, high-profile national interview with, like, a talking head talking about broadband. Because for years, I've been waiting for Susan Crawford to be, like, showing up on some national news program or something like that, or somebody with, a, like, you know, a Gigi Sohn, whether she's, um, you know, before she was in the FCC, but someone who has the, the gravitas and whatnot, that national television media will care about broadband enough to interview a person like that. Will that happen in the next year? Oh, absolutely. I think that that's going to happen. And whoever represents Susan or Joanne, if they can't make that happen, like call me, I'll help. But I, I mean, we have to, I mean, people like you, people that are also on this podcast, like we have to make sure that spokespeople are going to get out there um, with the most amount of visibility online and over the air to get these stories out. And um, that was the second point. Like, I think that not only are we going to criticize and analyze how this work is going to be done, I think two things that are going to help that is harm stories, like the harm of not having high-speed internet access in our communities, 
not just the pandemic, but like more stories about harm and social determinants of health. We're going to talk about harm and social determinants of health more than we ever have as it relates to digital inclusion in 2022. Which is to say, if you don't have broadband, you're likely to have a variety of other um, challenges in your life. And while some people might say, well, why do I care about that? If you're struggling in your life and you have more likely to get certain kinds of illnesses, the answer is because then we often have to pay a lot more in taxes to support people in that situation. And so this isn't just sort of like everyone should care for their neighbor kind of thing. It's also a public interest kind of thing of we would spend less in public services if we solve these um, these problems earlier upstream. Rye, prediction. Uh, I guess my last prediction is that I think we're going to see the Washington public utility districts do a lot more interesting stuff over the next year. I think there's a lot of uh, potential energy pent up up there and whether it comes out in the form of partnerships with private providers like Zipply uh, or they start doing uh, you know uh, residential fiber to the home service um, I think uh, there's going to be a lot happening there. So you're saying that the dam might break in the Pacific Northwest? Hey-o. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, I would definitely agree. I think we're going to see really interesting things from the public utility districts. I think almost all of it will still be open access. Um, and um, I think that's kind of a of a slightly easier one. I think there's some state that we're going to be talking about in a year that none of us would have predicted. I mean, like California is doing great stuff. New York is doing great stuff. I didn't think it was foreordained that both of those states would be doing something amazing. They both are. Vermont, off the charts, amazing. You know, Maine, just really classic, just like getting a lot of small things right over and over again. There's going to be some state that we haven't talked about at all that's just going to be doing amazing, I think. I just can't, I don't know who that is. Minnesota? I do not think it's going to be Minnesota. We do not have a champion. Uh, we have a governor and a governor's office that I think wishes broadband didn't have to deal with it. I think the legislature lacks people that take it seriously. Um, uh, I, I don't have a lot of hope for Minnesota, unfortunately. Well, for the sake of my uh, charter bill down here in Mankato, which is probably due to go up pretty soon, uh, it would certainly be nice to see some movement. Yeah. Sean, final predictions? Yeah, I got three. One in the weeds, one one giant bold prediction. When the deficit hawks come out for budget talks in, at the federal level, some members of Congress will move to cut the uh, affordable connectivity program, pointing to the fraud that's being committed with EBB. We'll see the return of the net neutrality debate at the FCC. Pause there, pause there. For, so a lot of us have been around, I mean, like, you know, know about net neutrality over the years. I think that this is going to be less of a fight than people realize. I think, and I and I'm willing to say that, like you could be laughing so hard at me next year. I think a lot of people are tired of it. I don't think the industry is going to fight back as hard against it. I think it's going to get done, and it's not going to be as much of a fight as some other things this year. Ditto. I agree. I think like we we used to have to explain what it was, and now people know what it is. And again, it has bipartisan support. And I don't. I also I don't agree with the prediction about the the EBB or the the affordable. Um, internet programs, because I think it's really hard to take something away from communities once you create it. All right. That's going to be, I'm really glad. So <laughs> I, want, I want to thank Deanne because like, at least we'll have one good thing to talk about next year. One of you is going to be right. <laughs> yeah. Sean, you had a final prediction. 5g will still not be a real thing in 2022. Uh, what do you mean a real thing? Like Verizon's about to turn on their, their, uh, their C band. Uh, their, um, I saw that. Um, uh, I think they'll be expanding. Um, it's uh, their 4g and 5g home internet to uh, about 20 million homes soon, uh, of which I think they have 150,000 customers right now. Something like that. Um, so you're saying that's not real. 
good for Verizon. That's that's <laughs> that's off to their marketing department is incredible. I, I I mean, we need we need to hire those folks. I am tempted to try it out. They screwed up the sidewalks around me, and I'm and they only rebuilt the ones on Grand Avenue, which is like a premier um, street in St. Paul here. And the ones that were off Grand, they just basically left destroyed. I'm a little disappointed in my city for not following through on that. Maybe they will in the spring, but uh, um, I might give it a try. I think I might sign up for it to see what it's like and uh, see how it compares to my Comcast. Um, but I am not. I do not have high expectations. So I think we should do that for sure. Final words. Anyone, anyone have any last things they want to get out? No, I think what I'll do next year. Um, this year I added the microphone. Hopefully my voice sounds a little bit better. He sounds um, so next... good. Smooth. Oh. oh man. I can't wait for my mother to hear this. Um, next year. I think what I'm going to do is add the, uh, when we do this show next year um, is get one of those um, eight ball things that you shake and the answer pops up in the little blue blue window there mm-hmm. i think i'm gonna Outlook get that fuzzy try again later yeah yeah exactly yep i think i'll do much better you should uh you should crack it open and put in some like broadband related ones and we'll film it <laughs> thank you everyone um i'm hoping that a lot of this stuff provides interesting conversations for next year uh but i'm sure looking forward to to working in the next year on uh, solving these problems with y'all so appreciate the time today and thank you all listeners for coming out it's been great thank you thank you so much so much fun we have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show follow chris on twitter his handle is at community nets follow muninetworks.org stories on twitter the handle is at muninetworks Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle. Licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm